0: Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Adam, and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at RSCCFamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning thanks for having me back again. I am just so happy to be here as I was driving in today I, I snapped this picture of uh, of the drive in man what a what an amazing rising sun. Bad, bad pun, right? Hey, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Do not ask me whether the car was going down the road or not when I did this. Because I need God's grace all the time. Let me just tell you, I need his grace all the time. But it was spectacular to look out across the river and to see this sunrise uh, coming up. I hope you spent a little bit of time with your head up this morning and not just down in your cup of coffee to get things ready. I'm also very grateful to be here today because it's an opportunity to come back, to share the word of God with you, to challenge you, and then to also watch what God is continuing to do here in, uh, in Rising Sun. And I've got I've got some conversation to have with your leaders, and uh, the the excitement of uh, of what's next. And, and it, it's much like that Christmas morning, you know, when what's next? You're still kind of in anticipation, kind of wondering what's going to be next, and. And uh, God has something pretty crazy and exciting in store for you. So just, I want you to have that word right up front. Let's pray together as we get started in this message time. Lord, I just am so thankful that you are caring for us. It is true that you love us, that you watch over us, that you guide, guard, and protect us in all things. And I pray right now, Lord, that uh, you would just open our eyes to your brilliance, to your brightness to the things that you are teaching us. And just like that sunrise this morning, Lord, amaze us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, every day in our news feeds, in our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, for those of you who are using that, we just get inundated with the news of tension around us, right? I mean, I don't know if you felt the tension during this election season or not. Yeah, anybody totally calm with what's happening right now? (laughs) It's crazy, right? I mean, just you see it over and over again. And and just in this past week, I, I was dazed by the events that happened, the challenge that I recognized from the nearly daily violence, the horrible way in which people speak to each other. Someone said, if you can't take the heat, Get out of the kitchen. But here's what I want to challenge you with today, and that's this. As Christians, we are called into the kitchen to act differently than the world. We're called into the kitchen to act differently than the world. Jesus already told us up front that we were going to have trouble. He was going to be with us. He he promised to be with us in the kitchen when it gets hot. And when there's all kinds of tension and violence and challenge. You know, we've heard the statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. At least I grew up with that. I don't know if this, the youngest generation is hearing those old cliches that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa gave to us. But you know, it's the idea that words may not hurt us, but the reality is words both hurt and they can kill. Or they can lead to events that can kill. Yet, how quickly our conversations and our disagreements escalate into word wars. I mean, we think if someone doesn't follow our advice or even follow us online, that they hate us or think poorly of us. I mean, I can remember give, being given advice many years ago to buy stock in Enron and Kmart and Toys R Us. I mean, perfectly good advice. It was. Ugly, right? I mean, it was a challenge. I remember my dad being so angry with my sister one time, and I asked him, Why are you, what are you so upset about, Dad? And he said, well, she asked my advice on a car, and then she didn't buy it. I went, I- isn't she an adult? I mean, can't she do that? She was, he was implying that she didn't care for him just because she didn't take his piece of advice. Can I just be honest with you right now, in this, this time of year, I... Uh, there's a lot of anxiety that this time of year brings to me. I mean, I'm 69 years old. I've voted since 1972. Some of you are way more veteran at voting than me. But every time I voted, it is the most important election ever in the history of the world. Is that true for you? I mean, it just comes at me wave after wave after wave. I mean, the world will end if we don't vote for so-and-so or who and who, and it comes from both sides. I mean, I don't care who you're standing with or for. The other side is saying that's the worst person in the world. And whoever you're standing for, that's the greatest person in the world, right? And it just continues on. But the real reason for my anxiety this time of year is that this is the season of pumpkin spice latte? Oh goodness, you know, or, or or it's the season of peppermint stick mocha. I mean, I mean, if God had intended for these flavors to be in coffee, He would not have put them in pie and ice cream. <laughs> I mean, we got all kinds of stuff that brings us brings us tension. When challenged. I get a real I get real passionate in my defense of favorite coffee, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or White Castle, and I leave out a whole list and some of you are going, You forgot mine, you forgot mine, right? We have we live with tension all around us. And there's tension in our faith too. Somehow we believe, and I love the songs that we sang, that because there is that challenge that even as I'm going through difficult places, remember what we sang is, he's a way maker. He's not a way taker. He doesn't take me out of the way. He makes a way through the things that are happening in my life. That means I'm going to go through tension. When you open up the scripture and you think seriously about the teachings of Jesus, there's often tension I mean, on one hand, he seems to be incredibly forgiving. Then on the other side, he holds everybody accountable for their personal worth and work. At times, he's harsh. At times, he seems kind. At times, he points out sin. And at other times, it looks like he ignores it completely. You know, as leaders of the church, in every place in which the church meets, we try to our best ability to hang on to that tension. But at times it just gets messy. At times it just seems like we're inconsistent or we're unfair or maybe at times it seems to be confusing. And when we get emails and notes as leaders of the church, I, I read them and, and I smile. Because I think maybe, maybe we're getting it right by living in the tension, in the challenge. We're trying to hang on to that tension that you have when you try to love like Jesus. Here's the deal. Personally and and individually, we're all tempted to want to to resolve that tension. But, But when you resolve it, you give up something important. It's what drove people crazy about Jesus. But he was comfortable with it. He was able to minister through it. And we dare not walk away from it, even though it's messy. So here's what I know as I'm reading scripture. That we are to agree with confidence and disagree with love. We're a part of this family, and you probably have it in your own family, that there are places where you agree and you can agree with confidence. And there are places where you disagree with love. Now John, you you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel writer. He wrote some letters to the churches. John, now, he's an older follower of Jesus. He's an old man by the time he starts writing these books that we have in the New Testament by him. Matthew, we think he was burned at the stake pretty early on. The Apostle Paul was probably beheaded. Peter was crucified. And all the followers of Jesus were scattered and eventually many of them became martyrs from the best that we can tell but some of them just disappeared but John John was a survivor he he lived a long time 40 45 years after Jesus and the events It became evident during that time that Jesus wasn't coming back immediately because you see, when people heard him say, I'm coming back, many of them said, great, great. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when is that happening? And now we're 40, 45 years down the road and he still hasn't shown up. So as these years go by, probably somebody says to John, hey, John, look, we appreciate the fact that you taught us all these things about Jesus and all these things that were true. But you're getting old and some of us aren't going to remember the truths that you've said and Jesus hasn't returned yet. Maybe he's going to wait even until after your death and there's nobody there to tell us the story. So maybe you ought to write this stuff down. Now that doesn't take away from the inspiration of Scripture. It says in the Bible that as the, as the Spirit moved them along... So as he brings back to memory, as he brings out onto the the pen or however they're writing this down, inspiration's still there. So John writes what we call the Gospel of John. It's that fourth book in the New Testament that you have here. He sits down now and he's an old man and he starts to write his memories and all the stories and all the stuff that he's seen. In fact, he gets to the end of his book and he says, there is so much more that I could write. But the things I have written to you, I've written so that you might believe, and in Him have eternal life. So he sits down and he writes. He begins his gospel. He begins his gospel with the account of the life of Jesus, with this big, grand picture of Jesus being like a word, and that God has sent His word, and He comes into the world, and the Word became flesh, and He was human. And he walked among us and he ate with us. But the people didn't recognize him and so they threw him out. I mean, how powerful is that? To try to describe the tension, the conflict that he sensed among the people that Jesus came to love. Here are the words that he left us with John chapter 1, beginning with verse 14 in the New International Version. It reads this way The word became flesh made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice how he begins here. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Yeah, I know, it's only the end of October, but it's time to get ready for Christmas, right? You've already seen the decorations in the places, the music is playing on the radio or on your favorite streaming service. You're starting to go, Christmas? Already? Folks, for John, Christmas was incredible. There's this great imagery that he uses with just three Greek words in this text. It says, made his dwelling among us. He's saying in essence, Jesus camped out with us. He's saying in essence, Jesus moved in with us, that Jesus lived with us. Now you have to think about this fact for a minute. God, the God of the universe, the creator of all things has come to live with us. Now, John's talking about physically here. He's not talking about, for those of us who are 2,000 years after this event, oh yeah, yeah, we know the story, oh yeah, we've heard that, we've read that. John said, no, no, literally, he was with us. We touched him later on in, verse, in first, second, and third John. He talks about the fact that we, we beheld him, we touched him, we knew him. We ate with him, we followed him, we lived with him, we talked with him. John's saying, we, we, I've seen something that you haven't seen. I've seen something and you had to be there to get it. I saw something and I wish I could have captured it so that you could see it as well. Just as the picture I took this morning as I'm driving in, that that does not describe the splendor of that sunrise. It's just a picture. And that's part of the challenge that we have when we're reading the New Testament is we get a snapshot of Jesus. And because of the four gospels, we get a more complete snapshot of Jesus, but you just really needed to be there, John is saying. And look at this, what he says in verse 14. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. He's saying he was full to the brim of both truth and grace. And there's this tension that goes on. Now, you know what grace is and you know what truth is. You know, the, the truth says, hey, you're accountable. And grace says, oh, oh, you're forgiven. Grace says, you're fine. But truth says, no, you're not. You're broken. Grace says, it's going to be okay. Truth says, oh, you're going to have to work on it. Grace says, you know, no matter what you do, I love you. And truth says, yeah, but, but you're accountable. There's that tension that takes place in being full of grace and full of truth as Jesus is. You know, all of us through our personalities kind of lean towards one or the other. I like the illustration Andy Stanley gave many years ago when he said this. Some of you were brought up with parents. One of them was grace and one of them was Mr. Truth or Mr. Ungrace. That, that oftentimes worked out in our families that it, Mom may have been the grace and dad may have been the truth. I mean, it's all about truth. But if you grew up in a great home, you got a good dose of both of those. And and, and here's what John says. I spent years watching him navigate the intricacies of some very difficult circumstances. And as I begin my my, my gospel, as I begin my description of what it was like to be with him, here's what I saw. I saw that he was absolutely full of both grace and truth. Remember, agree with confidence, disagree with love. Now, I want it to be one way or the other. I mean, I want to push Jesus in one direction or the other. I like the verses that lean towards truth when I'm telling somebody what to do. And I like the verses that lean towards grace when it's about me. Any of the rest of you feel that way? I mean, that's part of the way, the challenge of reading through scripture. And John says this, I watched him. And the best way that I can describe him and the way he worked is that he was full to the brim of grace and truth. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What? That seems a little odd. What it literally means is we've received grace upon grace upon grace, that he poured out the pitcher of grace for us, and he continued to pour even as our cup got full. We got more and more grace because that's what we needed. We received that. It brings us to this point of clarification when he says this in verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, now, we all know what the law is. That's the 10 commandments plus the other 600 plus commandments that are in the Old Testament. And we find them right there. He says in verse 17 again, for the law was given, and this is important, that was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I mean, we've seen the movie, right? You've seen it. Charlton Heston. He's always going to be Moses. I mean, there's no if and buts about that. And, and here he is. He's got the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments he brings down. The law was given through Moses. The law that told us what God expects. And, and here's what you have to do if you don't meet up to his expectations. The law says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt really not. And if you do, then you need to go to the temple and you need to give a sacrifice And get atonement for your sin. He said the law was given through Moses. Now, through Moses meaning God gave it and Moses just delivered it to us. There's a huge distinction that's going to be made here by John. I think maybe John has to pause for a minute here when he says, how how do I really put this into words? How, How do I get them to grab this, to grasp it? Ah, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the word given here. He uses a different term. Grace and truth came. The word here means begotten. The word here means it was born. It showed up as a full package in Jesus. Given through Moses, but it came in Jesus He was full of grace and truth. So if it came through Jesus, we begin to see this this balance that's taking place. It's where we all want to live in that full measure of it. Not the balance between, but, but the embodiment of. And this is what made Jesus so messy, what made him so confusing to the people around him as he was teaching, what made him so unpredictable. It's because everybody wants him to lean one way or the other. And John said he was all of it, and he brought it all to bear on every individual he talked to, and he brought all of it to bear in every single situation he's in. And just when we thought he was going to go one way or the other, he was grace and truth in the body. When you read the gospel through the lens, that lens, you see it. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this next week or even through the next few months as you're reading through the Bible. Go back through the Gospels again and see how Jesus lives grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. Because one day, there's this one story in the the Gospel of John, John chapter four, that we see Jesus at a well with a Samaritan woman. And she comes up to this well I think I've got a picture of her up here. Of course, that's a depiction. But she's there at the well with her jar, and Jews did not get along with Samaritans. Perhaps you you know this story. Some of you have been around church for a while. The rest of you are going, what's a Samaritan? Samaritans were those who lived a little bit north of Jerusalem. There was a slice of of the Holy Land at that point in time called Samaria. Jesus was from Galilee. Jerusalem is down in Judah. And you oftentimes should go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. But the Jews didn't do that because they hated the Samaritans. They would cross the Jordan River, come back down after they got past Samaria, and come into Judah across the Jordan River again. And you had to wonder why would they go through all of this, and it was because of the issue of truth. These Samaritans had been Jews, they had intermarried with the people who lived in the area, and guess what, they just didn't have the truth, right? They didn't have the whole truth that they needed to have at that point in time, and so the Jews had tossed the Samaritans out of their family. So here's Jesus at the well, and he's all alone with the Samaritan woman, and he talks to her. This is shocking. We miss out on this shockingness. and this is grace. And she's like, are you talking to me? Well, oh, you, you said something to me? Because she knows he's Jewish too. He's male as well. She's female. There's all kinds of dividing here. And he said, yeah, I'd like some water to drink. Would you use your jar and get some water? She's so amazed that he's talking to her. I mean, what's up with this? What's going on here? Just as things are going really well in the conversation, he says, hey, I want you to go back to Sychar. That's the town she's from, close to the well. And I want you to go back to Sychar and get your husband and bring him out. She says, well, I have no husband. He goes, I know. I already know that. Then he reaches into the most painful, shameful part of her past. He says, you've had five. And the man you're living with right now, he's not your husband. You are not married to him. And even Samaritans know you don't do that. You've had five husbands, and you've either divorced them or they've died. Either way, you've done a horrible job for a woman when it comes to men. You're not good with men. Whoa, Jesus, whoa. Haven't you been to seminary? Haven't you been to counseling classes? Don't you know you don't bring up these kinds of things? You don't say that? You don't bring up the painful, shameful parts? I thought this was grace and truth. Where's the grace? Here's where the grace comes. Because Jesus Reveals to this woman something we don't see him reveal to anyone else in all the gospels. He looks her right in the eye. Face to face. Maybe nose to nose with the appropriate dif- distance. He looks her right there, out all alone at the well. And he says, guess who I am? I haven't told anyone else this Yet. I've chosen you, a Samaritan woman, hated by my people. I shouldn't even be talking to women in this setting. You are eyeball to eyeball with the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Whoa, wow. Uh, I mean, and and he says to this to her at this point in time. He says, and I can give you water that will quench the thirst in your life and your soul in a way that no man will ever do it. And how does she respond? She, she understands what happens here at this time. And she runs off excitedly, drops her jar, and goes into town and tells the people with whom she probably had no credibility, remember? Five husbands, one who's not hers now. She says, I've met the long-awaited Messiah of God. I've met the long-awaited Messiah of God. People are going, yeah, right. We know how you work with men. But notice that, that they all come out with her. Now You can read the rest of that story in John chapter 4, and I hope that you'll go home and read that yet today, because here's the reality. It's how Jesus deals with the tension. Remember what we sang this morning? He's a way maker in the midst of the tension. He provides a way. He makes a way for us. In the midst of your tension in your life, he makes a way. Whatever your tension is today, he makes a way. Now, As a church, I I know we try to get this right, and we don't always do that, but when we find ourselves in these difficult situations, we say, God, we're not going to be just a truth church. I I, I mean, I'm like principle and exhortation, hit them with the truth, but when it's me in trouble, I like that grace part. So we're conflicted, God, you know, we're trying to figure this out, and it's messy, Here's another truth that I know from Scripture, and that's this. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you watch what Jesus did. And so if you want to know what Jesus meant when Jesus said to love one another, then you watch how Jesus loved. And do you know how he loved? He called sin, sin. And then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he said, I don't condemn you. And then he says to all of us, now that I've called sin, sin, and I've paid for it with my life, and said, I don't condemn you, I want you to leave your life of sin. And if you don't, I love you. And if you can't, I love you. And if the woundedness and the shrapnel of your own sin have left you in a place where you're not even sure you'll be able to walk away from this complexity of your sin, I love you. And if someone has sinned against you and it has sent you into a spiral of self-destructive behavior and you're not sure you'll ever recover from it, I love you. And The truth is, you are a sinner. But the grace is, I don't condemn you. And no one will ever love you more and I couldn't love you more myself. See, that's an amazing truth, people. Whenever we start talking to folks, whenever, whenever we get, bring them the truth of, of Scripture and the challenge of Jesus and His grace and his, his love for us, the reality is He loves us. He's not bashful with the truth, and we cannot be bashful with the truth. But there's a tension there. There's a tension which, when you try to resolve it, you give up something important. Do you know why we can't let go of the truth? The reason we can't let go of the truth is because sin has a gotcha. You guys are all from Indiana. You know what a gotcha is, right? I use that and people go, where did you learn that word? Indiana, man. I was taught all English in Indiana. I grew up here in this state, so I know English there. Sin has a gotcha, and God doesn't want it to get you. that was really bad too, but that's okay, right? God doesn't want sin to get you. And so every once in a while, in fact, not just every once in a while, constantly he says, here's what's true, here's what's true, here's how you got to live, here's how you got to treat people, and here's what you do with your morality and your ethics and your sexuality, and here's why you have to be honest, and here's why you can't cheat, and here's why you can't steal, and here's why you have to confess. And here's why you have to be accountable. Sin has a gotcha, but I don't want it to get you. So that's why it's written down in the word and why we understand the principles of that. And at the same reason, at the same time, excuse me, you cannot let go of grace. It's because to some extent, sin has already got you. It's already got us. And grace is your only way back. Grace is your only way home. Grace is the only way that you'll know you've been connected or reconnected to your heavenly father. Because we can't pay. We cannot pay for the divide that sin has caused. So you need truth and you need grace. And if Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth, and if the church is his body, if Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth, and we are his body, we're his hands, we're his feet, we're the best expressions of Jesus anyone will ever know. And so we have to be comfortable with this mess and unfairness and inconsistency and all the stuff that goes along with managing and hanging on to the tension of grace and truth. And after a bunch of years of doing this and after a bunch of years of trying to do this right and after a bunch of conversations where I've hurt people, people's feelings and offended people and then I saw them cycle back around and circle back around and get re-involved and re-established and reconnected, I'm convinced of this. The truth at its best is at the church at its best and is at its best when it agrees with confidence and disagrees with love. Now, as the band comes up on the stage, and I want you to hear this. If you want to know what Jesus meant when Jesus said to love one another, there it is. Agree with confidence, disagree with love. It's messy, it's difficult, and we just don't know what to do with the tension at times, but we dare not let go of either. Because there was a time in each of our lives, and there will be a time in each of our lives in the future when we will desperately, individually, need massive doses of truth and massive doses of grace. That's why we have to be bold in speaking about Jesus, because Jesus walks into that tension and says, come, follow me. All about the grace of God, all about the truth of God. Let's continue, that God, let's continue to pray that God will allow us to manage the tension to his glory so that people from every walk of life, every nation, every tribe, every group will know that God says, yes, you've sinned and I paid for it. And you're not condemned and I love you. And, and, and if you don't get that reading the words on the page in the book, then perhaps you go become a part of my body. You become a part of a local church where you will sense that grace and truth in such a redemptive way that it will change your life forever. That's what the church is about. Changing my life, your life, forever as we bring that great message of Jesus. But there will always be tension. Let's be that unique group of people that refuses to let go of either side. Truth, grace. So... How can you live this out? How can you live this out here in Rising Sun, Indiana and the surrounding communities? I think the first thing we do is we love and accept people. And we begin that within the church by getting into a group with people who are not like us. A Sunday school class, a small group. And then the second thing is we just don't get involved in divisive conversations. Jesus prayed for unity in John chapter 17. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. And, and all these things that are around us that seek to divide us, Jesus said, "Nothing can separate you from Me, and nothing should separate you from the family." So, whenever people start in on a divisive conversation, you go, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" Let's remember, we are Jesus' kids. We are God's kids. We're Jesus' brothers and sisters. Let's act like it. Second thing is, trust God with the outcomes. You remember that the New Testament is written when the the Romans are in charge and they are killing people who disagreed with them all the time. I mean, literally. And Jesus comes into that and with a small band of followers over the next three or 400 years takes over the world without firing a shot. Grace and truth. It's vain to think that this is the issue of all issues. I mean, I, I was chairman of the board of a pro-life center in cincinnati for over 10 years i'm passionate passionate pro-lifer but to be aware that this may not be the issue of issues god accomplished his purposes when some of the most deadly tyrants reigned and i am not calling either of the last two presidents tyrants please hear that third though be generous Serve willingly. Give lavishly. And watch what God does in your life. If you'd like to be a part of this church, come check with me right after this service. Check with folks out at the Welcome Center. We'd be glad to tell you how to do that. But would you pray with me right now? Father, it's in this moment that we just lift up to you the words on the page that we want to be full of grace and truth, just as Jesus. That we want to hear your word to be guided by your spirit in all things. So Father, right now, in the midst of the challenges that we face, in the midst of the tension of this moment and this time in the US of an election season that seems to be bitter and caustic, Father, may we be people of grace and truth. May we love the way Jesus loved his enemies, those who disagreed with him. May we speak truth in the way in which Jesus spoke the truth into the communities in which he lived. And may we bring your life into other people's lives as we follow Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.